0: Hey At The Letters listeners, before the episode gets going, we wanted to let you know Sportsnet's weekly Blue Jays newsletters are coming soon, written and produced by my man Ben Nicholson-Smith. Each newsletter will deliver Blue Jays fans with original content you won't find anywhere else other than your inbox, plus all the most important news, analysis, and videos you may have missed but need to see. So
1: sign up now at sportsnet.ca slash newsletters, that's sportsnet.ca slash newsletters, to have the most in-depth, exclusive Blue Jays coverage delivered directly to your inbox. That is sportsnet.ca slash newsletters. Don't miss out. The one pitch is hit back up the middle, Zoiko Field, he'll underhand to first, and TJ Zoic has picked up the no-hitter. For the first time in 22 years, the Bisons have a no-hitter as T.J. Zoich is mobbed by first base. And he gets a standing ovation from the fans here in Rochester.
0: This is At The Letters, brought to you as always by the OMB 2019 Florida Ranger, and we have a no-hitter to talk about then. Not in the big leagues or anything, not where it matters, but T.J. Zoich. Triple-A no-hitter. It's pretty cool.
1: That works. Yeah, I think it that's is nice. pretty cool. And that's, you know, regardless of what happens with his career, you'd have to think that that no-hitter that he got on Monday night uh, would rank as one of the highlights. I mean, to do that against AAA hitters with the ball being juiced at that level too, it's not an easy thing to do. Sometimes you
0: see no-hitters and it's like, oh, he walked six guys, you had to throw like 150 pitches. Not TJ Zoik. TJ Zoik threw 114 pitches, 73 of them for strikes. He faced only 29 batters just a walk and a hit by pitch got 15 of his outs via ground ball six via fly ball including his second to last out on which jonathan davis made like a, this insane play on a flare in uh in shallow center field and then uh, kind of cool mo- moment tj zoik gets to make the final out himself he gets the little comeback or gets to flip it to first probably was like like don't screw this up don't screw this up pretty cool man pretty cool
1: really cool yeah and great to see jonathan davis with that cash that you mentioned just running straight in making a great diving play a nice effort there by zoic and you know it's it hasn't been an easy path for him since being drafted in that first round in 2016 Uh, he said some ups and downs and that includes this year he said some some lat issues that have sidelined him and you look at the results going into that start not to not to you know pick apart the guy's season but he had a strikeout to walk ratio 32 strikeouts to 29 walks which not great so of all the pitchers in the blue jays system he might not have been the first guy to come to mind as a candidate to throw a no hitter let him have his moment in the sun (laughs) then why must
0: you rip him apart after the uh, the night of his life. No, yeah, congratulations to TJ like, And really, like, the Blue Jays needed a bit of a good news story, right? Think about, you know, Blue Jays news over the last uh, couple months, really, the entire season. It's It's been, you know, pretty negative. And for good reason. The team is bad and they're losing a lot. And some franchise icons, really, like, of the last several years have been traded from town. So, uh, yeah, I, I can understand that. But the Blue Jays kind of needed a, a positive
1: story. And this is it. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a uh, encouraging sign, and who knows? Like, we, I think we'll see Zoik in the majors at some point. I don't know when that is, but I think we'd see him at some point. Do you think it could happen before the end of the season? The no hitter doesn't hurt. I'll, <laughs> I'll put it that way. Yeah. I mean, I like he's not in the forty, right? Have to check on that yeah. one. I'll check while you talk. Yeah, I, I think that Zoik is someone when you look at going into that start, he had a four four two ERA. He had made ten starts, so kind of solid numbers, but definitely not overwhelming. That being said. The Blue Jays promoted Jacob pack when he wasn't doing all that great at AAA. Sean Reed Foley had mixed results at AAA. So it certainly wouldn't be the first time that they have promoted a pitcher who's not exactly dominating at that level. And Zoik is someone who I think is 24 years old right now. It's not like you're trying to necessarily protect him in the way that you would an 18 or 19-year-old nine year kid. Not on the forty man roster, but like just thinking about like
0: his age and where he's at, I would think he might be a guy that they have to add over the the winter. Like they've got a few of those guys that they're gonna have to add this winter.
1: They will have to add him because he was a sixteen draft pick, right? Out of college. So yeah. Yeah.
0: So Zoik and there's a couple others. K. Yeah. Hatch, I think. Hatch as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, the Blue Jays are gonna face like another one of these little forty man roster crunches like they faced last offseason uh didn't really hurt them because they got jordan romano back who's taken in in the rule of five and now travis bergen has actually been dfa'd by the san francisco giants so there's a possibility he'll be coming back as well like that was the one guy that seemed like they had lost uh and he was a lefty out of san francisco's bullpen this year got hurt a little bit came back kind of an interesting move from by san francisco like this close to the end of the year you would think like maybe you, you try to keep him until the end just so that you keep the player uh but clearly they didn't feel like he was someone
1: that they wanted yeah almost a different story than the jays and elvis luciano where yeah. they're going to hold on to him you know that they're going to make sure that he becomes their property um at some point potentially in the next couple of weeks and then like to begin next season he goes down to like oh yeah what high
0: a <laughs> yeah, <laughs> double a oh yeah i think I high mean, a is the logical spot for yeah him, which so is crazy also uh making noise at the triple a level Nate Pearson, who is now a Buffalo Bison, is going to make his debut for Buffalo on Tuesday in Rochester. It's been a fast progression for Nate Pearson. When you kind of look at the fact that he missed pretty much all of last season, starts this season in Dunedin, isn't there very long, goes double A, only 16 outings, and now he's at triple A. Like the Blue Jays are, you know, I like think a lot of fans say, oh, you know, play the kids, bring them up, like push them up. Let's get them on aggressive timelines. Like Nate Pearson's on an aggressive timeline.
1: Yeah, it's been a quick progression. When you think about how last year he pitched 21 innings and then this year makes it up to double A and he's already already been promoted to triple A um, with just 83 innings on this season. So we're looking at relatively quick progression and Pearson has earned it. I mean, I think when you look at the stuff, when you look at the results, there's nothing there that suggests that A is the place for him to be challenged the most right now. I think AAA, when you look at the balls, um, you look at the home run numbers at A this year, which are spiking to record levels, that could be a new challenge for Pearson, even just for a couple weeks before the A season ends.
0: Yeah. So if you aren't familiar, in A this year, they're using the big league balls. So uh, that's not only a ball that travels further and seems to fly uh, a lot easier, but that's one with lower seams. So you see a lot of pitchers, like Anthony Kay has talked about this, who have trouble spinning the ball the way they once did and have trouble with their grips and have to kind of relearn how to pitch when they get to the AAA level. So, yeah, I mean, this is going to be a test. It helps when, like, your fastball comes out at 104. <laughs> so, you know, if if your curveball loses a bit of bite or your slider isn't quite as sharp, you need to work on that stuff. Like, you can always kind of lean back on that velocity. Um, But, yeah, I mean, I think we're going to find some things out about Nate Pearson over these next, you know, he'll probably only get like three or four outings with Buffalo, like maybe only two or three, depending on how the Blue Jays set it up.
1: It's going to be interesting to see. It will. And it's a great test for Pearson. I mean, I think I I think he could get outs right now in the major leagues. I mean, when you look at (laughs) this stuff, um, there's no question, right, that he could be getting people out right now. That being said, I have no problem with him going to AAA for a bit. And trying to adjust at that level first. I think that when you're looking at uh, you know a prospect of of this kind of ceiling, you want to make sure that he's ready. I think that AAA is the next logical step in that progression. And honestly, I don't think that we'll see him here in September in the big leagues.
0: Yeah, I mean, I want to see every really good player in the majors like I as want soon to. as yeah. possible. Um, but like, it's like completely understandable that the Blue Jays like not only are gonna have him be in, you know have a mega pit stop in AAA like right now but next April as well like Nate Pearson I mean it'll be a big surprise if he breaks camp with this club just considering service time concerns considering they don't have to add him to the 40 uh like they, I I don't really Like it's it makes perfect sense for the club. I hate it. I hate that rule. I think it's terrible. I think it should be adjusted and looked at in the next CBA negotiations. Like I want I don't want any rule in place that prevents young players from getting to the big leagues as fast as possible. That when you don't have your best athletes at your highest level of competition, that's a problem. Like, that's not good for fans. That's not good for players. That's not good for anyone except for organizations that get to save a little bit of money. But they're going to have to pay these players eventually anyway. Uh, I don't like it. But when the Blue Jays send Nate Pearson to Buffalo at the end of spring training next year, even if he has like a zero ERA over
1: 20 spring innings, I'm going to understand why they did it. Of course. Yeah, it really comes down to the incentives that are in place here. And I think it's unfortunate, but. The Blue Jays are incentivized to try to get that seventh year of control from Pearson. They are not incentivized to try to win games in the present term. But I think that if the structure was different and there was we existed in a universe where, all right, Giants, Orioles, Blue Jays, Royals, whoever wins the most games in September, you get the number one pick in 2020, Nate Pearson will be up because at that point he would help them win games. There's no way that you look at the Toronto Blue Jays pitching staff right now you can easily find five six pitchers who are not as talented right now as Nate Pearson but for the reasons of you know asset management and trying to get the most out of out of the pitchers that you have Unfortunately, it makes sense for him to be in A.
0: And there is a timeline where like the Blue Jays finish, uh, you know, two games out of a wild card spot or something like that. And they held Nate Pearson down for like three starts at the beginning of the season. And, you know, th- started whoever, some mark and it didn't go well. And there's a timeline where it's, hey, maybe if you brought Nate Pearson North and had this guy pitching out your rotation from the beginning of the year, you would have qualified for the playoffs. Sure.
1: Yeah, and I think that's a, in some ways a painful timeline, in some ways the timeline the Blue would kind of like.
0: letters is brought to you of course by the all-new 2019 ford ranger with available blind spot information system with trailer coverage which alerts you when a vehicle is detected in the blind spot of your ranger but its capability doesn't stop there to help when you're towing it will alert you when a vehicle is detected in the blind spot of your trailer as well great that is great uh not great Vladimir Guerrero Jr.'s hurt Hurt his knee, making a play uh, at third, cutting in front of Beau Bichette on uh, on a ground ball. Buck, we saw Brandon Drew replacing Vladimir Guerrero Jr. at third base last inning. We are told he's out of the ball game because of left knee discomfort and is currently being looked after by the medical staff. So, Vladdy Jr. out with left knee discomfort. Buck.
1: You can see how gingerly he walked down the steps, heading toward the clubhouse, and obviously they want to make sure they check that out.
0: The weird thing with this one is there wasn't like a really acute event. Like it kind of seems like it's something that maybe like has been has bothered him before. Like we know he's had an issue in that knee before, and like you know it's not like the sort of thing where like Lourdes Gurriel Jr. when he got hurt, you know, running to first base, it was like bang yeah. something happened something yeah. acute happened there vladimir Guerrero jr it, you know there wasn't like uh, he's on the ground writhing in pain and you know there's been some sort of event like he just kind of tweaked something um which kind of suggests you never really want to like you know speculate with this stuff but kind of suggests that maybe there was an issue
1: already there that he is aggravated or worsened yeah interesting interesting school thought there i think that That one play where he's kind of gliding towards second base seemed to at least aggravate it. But as you said, it's not like he's on the ground writhing in pain afterwards. He's able to walk off the field totally fine. They get an MRI. And from what we're told, it checked out. So at this point, the assumption is that Vlad Jr. will be back in a couple of days. But of course, it does also raise, I think, bigger picture questions about Flat Jr.'s, I've answered questions about should he be moved to first base or is he in good enough shape? These are the, you know, we, we do a lot of radio, a lot of, you know, a lot of talking about the Toronto Blue Jays. And these are the questions that come up in and
0: around the team. That's the other thing? He went for an MRI. Like, if it's like no big deal, you're not going for an
1: MRI. Right. You know, (laughs) if you stand up from this chair and you feel a bit stiff, we're not sending you through the MRI machine.
0: (laughs) Right. So, you know, like clearly there is something going on. It's like when, uh, like, when uh, I saw Buster Olney tweet about this yesterday. He's so right. When teams like describe that an athlete is like, oh, he's got inflammation. It's like, all right, well, you're not really telling us anything. Like you're not really telling like you're not actually telling us what's going on. Like you're you're hiding what's going on. Like inflammation. Like you and I have inflammation sure. right now. Every player in MLB yeah. is dealing with inflammation. If you eat too many tomatoes, you get inflammation. Yeah. Like it's an inflammatory food. So <laughs> like that doesn't really tell us anything. So this this flatty uh, knee thing is like it's it's suspect.
1: And and we've seen the blue jays at various points in the last year, last couple of years. Be less than forthcoming with this stuff. To some extent, that's the nature of the business, right? When Ryan Barucki goes down and says he thinks he's going to miss one start, I believe it. They thought he was going to miss one start, but it ends up being basically season-ending. Josh Donaldson, they thought it was, it was basically a non-issue becomes an issue and misses four or five months. Ken Giles, same thing. Yeah. So there are lots of instances where the Blue Jays initially downplay the severity of injuries that are later revealed to be more significant. And so that's just the reality of the business. I do not think that this is limited to the Blue Jays. I think if you were to look yeah. closely at the Red Sox, the Arizona Diamondbacks, or the Padres, you'd see the same traits. To some extent, it's just Major League Baseball. But that doesn't mean that we have to take the Blue Jays at their word when they say it's day to day we don't we just don't know
0: (laughs) no there's probably like a future when we're like sitting in here and like you know 2026 and we're talking about lower body injuries
1: Oh, yeah. It's almost likely, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. But it does re-raise like a a topic that is like, you know, been, and you kind of mentioned it before, been around Vladimir Guerrero Jr., which is body composition and which is conditioning. And we know it's something that the Blue Jays have been concerned about in the past. When they say routines, I mean, that's part of it. Part of routines is how do you prepare for games and how much video do you watch and what are you doing in the batting cages and is your work purposeful or is it just eyewash? and Part of that is what are you eating and what's your rehab like? And how are you preparing your body uh for the rigors of a major league schedule? Is Vladimir Guerrero Jr.'s conditioning and body composition optimal right now? No, clearly not. Like we can all see that. I think that while he's young, he's gonna be able to bounce back well from you know injuries like this. Like yeah, he's 20 years old, man. Like so he's gonna be able to respond. Well, to this type of feedback, which is kind of suggesting that maybe you're carrying too much weight around or like, you know, maybe you aren't, you know, stretching enough or you know, foam rolling enough or whatever. But I think the, the, you know, you want Vladimir Guerrero Jr. to be as good of a player as possible into like 32 and into 36. Like you want him to get through and have a long career, like a Hall of Fame career. Uh, that's where I think some of the conditioning and, and body
1: composition issues are going to come back to bite him. Right at this point, that's uh, a part of the equation because we're not just worried about oh, are the Toronto Blue Jays this year going to win you know sixty seven or sixty nine games? Really, that question is secondary. And even the question about Vlad Junior's season and is he going to win Rookie of the Year? Ultimately, that's secondary too because the goals for this team in the medium and long term are much bigger. And so they want Vlad to be in the best shape possible. I mean, I've said it before. I think that. Going into this off season, the Blue Jays will present Vlad with a plan that they want for him to follow. I think that plan would likely involve him spending a lot of time around their Dunedin facility and getting into absolutely the best shape that he possibly can. That's, I mean, if if we were writing about a, a hockey team or a football team or a basketball team, that would obviously be the expectation around a twenty year old star player, right? Like we saw, you know, if if Connor mcdavid was in less than ideal shape i think the edmonton oilers would be like all right man like we're gonna try to work with you on this and try to really really make you into the best possible peak athlete that you can be so i think that will definitely be part of the conversation this winter
0: and ultimately it will come down to vladimir Guerrero jr's buy-in right and how invested he is on it like you and i can say like oh i want to get in better shape but unless you're actually going to do it like unless you're actually going to commit to it and want to do it uh like that's that's What it takes because like, you know, the Blue Jays could say, all right, you know, stick stick around Dunedin and, you know, we'll work you out every day or whatever. But they aren't going to like have hands on him 24 hours a day. No. Right. So it's going to come down to him wanting to do it. And when he's, you know, got like an 800 OPS or whatever it is through his first however many games, he's saying. I don't know, things going pretty well for me. Like, I'm on the cover of magazines, you know, there, there's, I'm doing hitting tutorials, on MLB network, and I'm crushing baseballs. So I gotta, I'm in the rookie of the year, you know, uh, consideration. Like, what do I need to change anything for?
1: Right. And he's also only 20 years old. I don't know this for a fact, but yeah. you might wonder maybe he would want to go home and be around his his Hall of Fame father, his grandmother. He's also not from this country. Right. right. <laughs> so he grew you know, up in the Dominican. <laughs> you and I have spent time in Dunedin, Florida. It's not necessarily yeah. the spot that I would want to spend 12 months a year or spend spend my entire off season. I might rather be at home around my friends and family. And that being said, I love Dunedin at times, but it might wear on you if you were there just month after month. Totally, um, It's not for everyone. So I think that... I think that that will be a conversation. Is is the point? But I don't think it's time. And I, I wonder what you think on this. I, I suspect that we might agree, but I don't think it's time to talk about moving positions for Vlad.
0: No, I think that would actually hurt the work ethic side of it right because like right now to like get ready to play third base every day like you gotta do a bunch of work right like you gotta you gotta be taking those ground balls hit from john schneider every day and you gotta be like stretching out and like do you know doing your pre-game routine and and all that if you take that away from him like that would actually i think hurt his routines and his preparation yep. um I, as ironic as it may be right and i also don't believe that like Going to first base is really going to put that much less stress on his body. Like with the amount of shifting in today's game, like first basemen are covering way more like ground than they ever had to. Like they're being pulled further away from the bag and some of these aggressive shifts and they kind of race to get back there on on a ground ball. You get a lot of, think about how often you see a little flare into right field foul territory and a first baseman's got to go sprinting after it because like the right fielder is shifted way over towards, uh, towards right center. So like I think he'll be moving around just as much and I think he'll be having just as much, you know, tax and toll on his knees and his ligaments and his joints and everything playing at first base as he would at third. So really the only way to limit that would be to make him a designated hitter. You don't want a 21-year-old designated hitter. uh. So I think, like, leaving him at third base for now, like, is what's best for him and improving his routines and his conditioning. At some point, the Blue Jays are going to need a third baseman, like, who can make the damn plays, right? But this point is not that point because, as you said, the difference between 67 and 69 wins isn't big. And next year, we're probably going to be talking about the difference between 80 and 83 wins, optimistically. even.
1: Right. Yeah, I, I think, too... It's not like Vladdy has zero tools. I mean, he's got a good throwing arm. It's got, he's got a great got arm, man. Pretty good hands. So you've got some stuff to work with there. You know, so far he's not making those Josh Donaldson catches down the left field line on pop ups. His his lateral range probably isn't uh, isn't going to rival Nolan Arenado or the best Matt Chapman, the best third baseman in baseball. Um, but if he can become an average third baseman, that's a huge win for the Blue Jays. And it's not that hard to imagine. I mean, I can also imagine him at first base in two years, but I can also imagine him being actually a pretty solid third baseman. So why give up on that now?
0: I think his future is as a first baseman. I just don't think it should be right now. Yeah. And even think about like mentally, right? Like you've kind of brought this guy up like he's playing third like because he wanted to play third. Yeah. Like he was like came up as, as a corner outfielder and was scouted by a lot of teams as a corner outfielder. And then like when Alex Anthopoulos and Tony LaCava and Andrew Tinnish went down to see him, they are like, hey, where do you want to play? And he said, actually, I kind of want to play third. So Blue Jays made him a third baseman. And they challenged him with it every step of the way. And they've kept him there. And they've given him ways to get better. And so mentally for him, like if you take that away and you say, not going to happen, sorry, we just don't believe in you. We don't believe you can do this. You would think there would be a bit of a confidence hit there. And you'd think that would, you know, that could, and who's to say, right? You can't quantify this stuff, but that could affect his performance if he's thinking, oh, man, like, I failed.
1: I didn't do this. Yeah, I mean, the day he came up, he said his favorite player was Adrian Beltre. You want him thinking like that. Adrian Beltre, an amazing two-way player, Hall of Famer, incredible defender at third base who, who also hit. That's what you want, Flatty. thinking. I mean, if if he's trying to emulate a player like that, you're in great shape. Someone who has fun, someone who hits, someone who fields. That's that's the target. You don't want him, you know, saying that his his favorite player is Luke Voigt. You know, you'd yeah. rather you'd rather have him. <laughs> not that he would say that, we but I really just, want to be Daniel Vogelback. back. <laughs> right, <laughs> that's a better example. Daniel Vogelback. back. You want someone who does it all. That's that's what you want, Flatty, emulating.
0: Tired of subscribing to multiple streaming services to get your sports fix? Introducing Sportsnet Now. Live stream the entire MLB postseason and entire World Series, over 500 NHL games, Raptors and NBA, and much more, all in one subscription. You can stream on the go or at home on your big screen from the most popular devices, including smartphones and tablets, Apple TV, Xbox, PlayStation, and Chromecast. Sign up for as long as you want and cancel whenever you'd like Get the best bang for your buck with the sports streaming subscription that gets you the most content. Visit snnow.ca for more details. Openers, baby. It's all the rage for the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, they've already used it, like, uh, you know, probably off the top of your 12. head. Twelve. Twelve times, and I bet you they're going to use it a whole bunch more yeah. from, uh, from here on out uh, because, A, they don't have uh, really a rotation. Uh, and B, it's been working for them. They've been like having
1: success with it. Are they not 10 and two with it? Nine and three. Nine and three. Pretty good results. So yeah, I mean, I think, so they've used it 12 times already. They've got maybe 40 games left. 35. They have 35 games remaining as we record this. I bet they use it 20 more times. Wow. Like, I think in most of their games, they're going to use an opener from here on. So that's Wilmer Font. That's Neil Ramirez. Who else? Derek Law could be in that Hello. mix. Buddy Bo Shears could be in that mix. Wow. I mean, I think anyone. I, honestly, yeah. I think this whole staff has been reimagined. Stroman and Sanchez gone. It's just whoever can get out. That's what you're looking at. How
0: sustainable is that year to year? I feel like I've filmed this at you before. Like how? Su- like because I just don't think that you can do that year over year over year.
1: You don't want to. I
0: think it makes sense right now. But yeah. I don't like think that the you know, and I think the Blue Jays will do it a handful next year maybe. But
1: by like 2021, you need some certain pitchers hundred percent i mean even the rays have kind of graduated out of this where torinos and Yarbrough are pitching so well as the bulk guys that they've just been using them as traditional starting pitchers and you have Glasnow, and you have morton and you have snell and all of a sudden you're looking at a complete staff that doesn't necessarily need openers in the same way so that's where the jays would want to get in the meantime they're just not close like their pitching is way worse than the rays so I think you have to mix a match and see what you can do. So I think that, you know, if you look at the best teams in baseball, I mean, yeah, the Rays have,
0: have done it, right? Um, but like look at this LA Dodgers club that the Blue Jays are playing right now. They're not throwing openers no. at you, like they're throwing Kershaw and Ryu, <laughs> right, and Kentomeda, you know, like Walker Bueller, right? Like uh look at the you know, the Cleveland teams that have, you know, they're about to reach postseason for like the fourth year in a row. Like Kluber, Carrasco, Bieber, like really good pitchers. Like you need starting pitchers, I think, to be a good team eventually. Like I just don't think that we're going to see like a perennial contender regularly
1: using openers. I I don't think you can build your staff around it. Yeah. Maybe at the back, you have a couple guys that you you mix and match. Maybe once. Once. Like once a turn
0: is what I mean. Yeah. Once uh, a a turn. Yeah. Yeah. Once a turn.
1: That's reasonable. I Um, could
0: see that. The Blue
1: Jays are doing it like three times a day. Yeah, here's a here's an unrelated question for, or I guess a related question for you. Um, why wouldn't the Astros, for example, use an opener too? Because I know that that was like that was they always have like Verlander, no, no, and, and Zach Greinke. But right, but like, why wouldn't it help them too? Because if it helps Sean Reed Foley, wouldn't it help Justin Verlander too? Because Justin Verlander is
0: like really, really good as <laughs> yeah. a starting pitcher. Like, why are you going to change what Justin Verlander is doing? So
1: you're saying it's a routines question. There are
0: like guys like, you know, Jacob back and Sean Reed Foley who mm-hmm. don't have Verlander stuff. Oh, and, not even close. Uh, <laughs> and don't have like Verlander ability. Mm-hmm. Like you want to perhaps like not have them face the the first inning when you are facing top of the order. And when like I think statistically the majority of runs are scored. Um, you want to start them against the bottom of the order and when they turn it
1: over a third time, have them turn it over with six, seven, eight. I guess put it this way, if you're in a playoff game, if you're the Astros, would you think about starting, say, Ryan Presley for the first? So then that takes care of the the beginning of the order, whoever you're facing, the Yankees, for example. Then you have Verlander come in for the seventh through the or, or for the second inning through the eighth inning, and then you have Asuna close it out.
0: No, I'm just gonna let Justin Verlander pitch the first <laughs> through the sixth or whatever, and they're yeah. gonna go to my bullpen.
1: Right. Uh, I guess I would be tempted to to save Verlander that very first inning and then ease things a little bit from there.
0: If I was starting a playoff game with like TJ Zoig, right. right? Yeah, okay. Right. Sure. I would think about it. When yeah. you don't
1: mess with like a Zach Granke. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's that's the way we've seen these teams behave. So it it seems like you've got uh Lots of people agreeing with you there. Uh,
0: So the reason the Blue Jays are doing this is because their starting pitchers right now are uh, underwhelming. Uh, Sean Reed Foley, Trent Thornton, Jacob Oiegg back and Thomas Pannone. Like that's your quote unquote rotation right now. If so, let's say if two of those guys were to be in the
1: opening day rotation in 2020, which two do you think it would be? I think Thornton, because he's the one guy right now who doesn't have an opener attached to him. Right. So I think he would be the most likely. And I think beyond that, Waggis Pack has shown the Jays something. I mean, it's not it's not a ton, but when you look at the results for Waggis Pack, he's been pretty consistent, 420 ERA through his first 45 innings. And I think if he could come close to replicating that, the Jays would have to be really happy. I think that's
0: interesting. I think those are probably the two guys I would... Pick as well because i think sean reed foley's futures as a reliever yeah personally uh like a guy who's gonna lose fastball play up or like play back to what it once was and who can you know maybe just go max effort on his slider and get some of that swing and miss and some of that chase he hasn't been able to get this year um and forget about changeups and just go fastball slider one inning out of the bullpen and forget about having to try to like approach a lineup a different way the second time and potentially even a third time although we haven't often seen him get that far into games lately uh so yeah and uh thomas panone i, I kind of see as a a long relief lefty at some point um he's had troubles with home run ball lately um had troubles with velocity lately he never want to write a guy off like the, you know he could become Wade Miley. You never know. But uh, if, I, if I had to say the two most likely guys to work out as starters uh,
1: in 2020, I do think as well it's Thornton and back. Yeah, not to pick on Panone, but you just look at the way he's kind of faded as the season has gone on and even inning to inning. I mean, you look at how he does first time through versus second time through the order. It's a definite drop-off in production. That's not what you want to see from from a starting pitcher. So that does profile more as a reliever. I think Reed Foley is interesting because he has the potential, right? Like you see, he has thrown 94, 95. You know what's in there. He's got a breaking ball that does have some nice break on it at times. Um, you've got also a guy who threw strikes in his last outing almost to a fault where the Blue Jays now want him to expand more, throw the fastballs way up, throw the sliders in the dirt, try to get more swing and miss that way. But he has shown that he can throw strikes, so there's you can kind of see the top prospect pedigree showing itself, and you're you're intrigued as to what he might look like as a starter. But I think now you're likely looking at Thornton and packs
0: So do that for me in the eighth inning. Come out right. and throw strikes and have a 95 mile an hour fastball and a, a
1: nasty slider and get me three high leverage outs. Right, and it might come to that. I mean, I think I think he'll arrive in the spring training next year as a starting pitcher, yeah. and the opportunity will be there for these guys because even if they add. I mean, I think it's a virtual certainty that they'll add at least one free agent starting pitcher. Um, They should add two. They should add two. So let's say they add two. You know, you have Shoemaker coming back. You have maybe Barucki. Like, there's still going to be opportunity in this rotation. We
0: have quickly forgotten about Ryan Barucki, who, like, could show up to spring training healthy. And he could look like the 2018 guy again. And then that's – then he's in your rotation. Then you're looking at, like, one guy out of these four. Maybe T.J. Zoic leapfrogs, right? Like, sure. You know, threw a no-hitter. <laughs> yeah. Maybe he leapfrogs them in, in spring training, right? Like maybe Julian Merriweather shows up and is like throwing 98-99 and the Blue Jays are like, yep, no, you're in. Like there you go. Like all four of the
1: guys now could start next season in A, Right. I mean, and that would almost be great for the Jays. Like if, if they have these guys in A to start the season, that would be a sign that others have stepped up and pass them on the depth chart. I don't think that the Jays are in a position right now where they want to guarantee anything to these guys. I mean, yeah. we even saw with Baraki this year, he had that great start three eight seven 3 ERA through his first, whatever it was, 15 outings. And he arrived in spring training having to earn a job. Yeah. So you can guarantee that these guys are going to arrive with no job certainty because they just haven't earned it. I mean, they, they've shown flashes, but no one here is, has pitched so well that you say, well, that's it. He's he's a fixture. He's earned it for the foreseeable future.
0: Anthony Kay is going to be like yeah. almost twenty five right. next year. Like <laughs> next year's his age twenty five season. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, that's a guy that like could totally win a, a rotation spot out of uh, out of spring training.
1: The competition is going to be wide open. Yeah, yeah,
0: and it is wide open because outside of Nate Pearson. There's no one who you're like, that's the guy, right? No. There's no one who you're like, that's a front of the rotation arm, right? Because for, you know, having 20 pitchers and, you know, that we, we want good stories out of them, this and that and the other, you still need guys who have velocity and, like, really good off-speed weapons. And of the four right now who are in the Blue Jays quote-unquote rotation, you don't see anyone in there who has
1: premium stuff yeah i mean that's that's the way it's looking right now, even Reed Foley stuff is playing down yeah Panone stuff is playing down i mean this is maybe it's a product of a long season these guys are going through it you know for um trying to prove that they can but you see their velocity diminishing. And that's not the direction you want to see things trending.
0: Like if Jacob back is going to have success at the big league level as a starter, like he's going to
1: cut it, he's going to sink it, he's
0: going to run it, you know, he's going to mix and match with his pitches and he's probably going to like five and dive, right? Like yeah. you're not going to see, like we are just talking about Verlander, right? Like that's like an ace, man. Like that's overpowering stuff. That's I can like shove through seven, eight, sometimes nine innings, right? Like, a lot of you know Trent Thornton right like has got you know he nice fastball like good breaking stuff good spin rates but again a guy who you're like yeah five and dive great yeah happy like none of these guys have that kind of premium elite stuff and you have to wonder if you're going to be able to build a competitive rotation based on guys who lack that ability or if you're going to need someone other than just Nate Pearson to show up with like really really wicked
1: repertoire well when you think about the teams that have the worst starting rotations and succeed in spite of those they have really good bullpens right Right. so like you've got oakland which you know seems every year that they're just piecing it together with mike fires and brett anderson and marco estrada you know you've got like objectively pretty mediocre rotation at best but their bullpen is just stacked i mean you have all kinds of relievers who are pretty dominant. They're pretty aggressive in free agency. They trade for relievers. Even a guy like Liam Hendricks has just become so nasty over the course of the last four years since the Jays traded him for Jesse Chavez after 2015. He is like a relief stud now for that team. So I think that's the only way that you can have a mediocre rotation and contend is if your bullpen is just lights out.
0: The other thing I don't like about openers, and I meant to say this earlier and I forgot, uh, it means guys are going to get paid less in arbitration. That's another thing that I like I really don't. Like about it, and like I understand, like Tampa Bay, like they're trying to manage costs. That like you expect it from a club like Tampa Bay. A club like Toronto, like should be paying players,
1: no doubt. And you want to see these players get paid. I, you know, it's interesting. Like I think that if you really excel in that role, as say the the opener or the bulk guy, I still think that you would get paid pretty well because. It's going
0: to change the game, right? Because it will. once, like actual legit openers, like some of the guys who like have like a ton of starts, but they don't have the innings bulk, get yes. to arbitration. How are arbitrators going to look at that?
1: Oh, it's going to be a new precedent that, and that will be set. Similarly, with the
0: bulk guys who come in behind, they'll get to arbitration without a bunch of starts, but with a lot of innings.
1: What are arbitrators going to think about that? I think you'd have to compare it mostly based on the innings total. Yeah. So. Even if they don't have the starts, I think you'd look at the innings and say functionally they were used as a starter. And I think that their pay would be pretty close to that of a starting pitcher.
0: I think arbitration needs to change like in general like, 100% I think that's the system is like archaic and I think that a lot you know the, the, some of the like mysterious individuals who like make these rulings uh, maybe aren't as uh, up to date with the contemporary <laughs> way that the game's played
1: or analyzed no on a, um, on a Monday morning they're arbitrating the a dispute between an airline and a flight attendant and then on <laughs> Tuesday they're doing arbitration yeah. for Giancarlo Stanton and the Yankees like they, there's no expertise in here for, for these arbitrators none
0: yeah and so I like, I think it needs to be changed, overhauled completely anyway. But in the event that it's not, and it likely won't be, I am concerned about how the opener is going to impact earning potential. For young athletes in the game, um, I might be being a little too like skeptical, but I, I am concerned. Someone's got to watch out for the Wilmer Fonts of the world. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> glad that Arden welling is on it. I'm more concerned about like the well Thorne's one guy. I'm more concerned about the uh, the Thomas Penones of the world. Right, right. Like Wilmer Font should be fine. Yeah, well, Thomas Pannone's got to get to arbitration first. <laughs> <laughs> That's Ben Nicholson Smith. I'm Arden Swelling. You can get us at sportsnet.ca/podcast. And you can read us sportsnet.ca. All that good stuff. Uh, thanks to Sho Ali for producing this week. Thanks to Drew Livingstone for working the cameras. Thanks to you for listening. Talk to you next week on at the Letters.